you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. None other than Tony Hawk, Todd Peterson. Yes, yes, sir, everybody. Thanks for being on, Jordan. The League presents Electric People. What's up, Electric People? We are here with Vivint Solar CRO. Paul Dixon, and we're recording live today. I like being live today. Paul Dixon in the house. Yeah, What's man. What's up, guys? Don't, overdue, don't screw it up. Um, for you guys that don't know Paul, uh, he's our chief revenue officer, serial entrepreneur, um, has raised over a billion dollars on Wall Street uh, for Vivint Hold Solar. In the You've got to say that like Dr. Evil. One billion dollars? One billion dollars. <laughs> I'll say like a million and then no one will react. And I'm People like, don't a understand billion? how much a billion dollars is. That's yeah. so much money. Yeah, we'll get into it. It's a lot. But honestly, would you expect anything less from Paul? I like that. You know? Um, Paul's also involved in many different humanitarian projects, schools uh, in Africa. The Engage Now Africa project that we all worked on um, last year was uh, labeled as one of Utah's top 40 under 40. You only get that for a little bit longer. How old are you? 34. Okay, you squeaked in, squeaked in. <laughs> Husband, dad, horseman. Strong horseman. And the most fun person to vacation with. Mm, it's a pretty strong that. intro, right? It's it's a good it's good. Yeah, I would have tweaked a you few things, but um, I'll go with it, and then we'll see how the podcast. <laughs> when we goes. did James Lawrence interview. He made us redo his intro. No, he didn't. Yes, That's he did. Awesome. It was, anyway, um, <laughs> who's the best horseman in your horse group? Um, it's tough. This is. Have you seen the horse pictures? Yeah, of course. So yeah. I was building before I moved to California to do solar. Yeah. Uh, Stacy and I were building like our dream homes. So we'd work with this architect for like probably seven or eight months. We had like styrofoam like models of the home. Moved to California, started working with Vivint Solar. My lot where I was going to build my dream home is now the the location of Paul's barn. <laughs> he bought <laughs> and my the horses. Lot. Love it. And the horses love it. His love animals. It. That's that's kind of how it works here. So his <laughs> animals feast on my dreams. Essentially, is how it works. So I feel like. If you own a, it's like, it's not like you grew up with horses, did you? Or so did you? I had a horse when I was really young. I grew yeah. up in Texas, so people just have horses. Right. And it's kind of crazy. A couple years ago, I was talking with a couple other guys at Vivint Solar, and we're like, we all love horses. Like, we should buy horses. And I went home that night, and I watched Man from Snowy River, like, by you myself, just in my family just room. tears. And Courtney was like, what are you doing? You're, like, Googling like, the hat. Like, I just need to <laughs> And there's a line in there where it says, a man without a horse is like a man without legs. And I'm like, I'm a man. i got to have a horse. That's good. Like, i got to get out. So I bought a horse, like, the next True morning. True statement. Yeah. Where do you go to get a horse? Um, I is there, bought, like, a horse There's KSL horse auctions, like okay. which are, like, the ultimate. Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Ty says Craigslist. <laughs> need a horse. This looks healthy. How old is it? I have yeah. no way to tell. You know. So it's kind of crazy, but there's uh, it's like horse auctions. People, you know, it's a lot of word of mouth stuff. Buying horses is is tough because you want to make sure you get a good horse. You're like horse traders as being people you can't trust, and there's a reason for that, right? Yeah, there's yeah. got to be bad like horses the, out there. You're in the deep like underground horse world now. Yeah, I mean, point. I feel like I've gotten to a level where I like. I'm trading with with good horses now. You could spot someone who's BSing their way through like a horse. I pretend I could, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's the first step. That's the first step. Um, so, Paul, you were you've been here since the very early days. You yeah. you started this company with four other people yep. essentially. So, um, 
maybe for those who are so much of our business is brand new reps now, which yeah. is awesome. It's really uh, cool. I, I saw yesterday that we're recruiting three hundred and what sixty people a month, a month or something yeah. right now. We're we're over seven hundred new reps on the quarter. That's so incredible. <laughs> like that's and they're sticking. Crazy. We're having success. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so combine great to see. retention. Everything's through the that roof. That is so crazy. We love our new athletes. So for those that that weren't here in those early days. Um, Give us maybe a brief history of Vivint Solar. One of the things I love to have people um, of your status on the show is to tell us about how it was. Yeah. Because I think it gives a lot of perspective to really how things are and then ultimately where we're going, right? Yeah. So Vivint Solar was started out of Vivint Inc. There were four of us kind of working on it. And I have a, a plaque in my office of our original like account list. And it was done on a whiteboard. Like customer So, so I'd like write like Ty Williams, sell date, CAD date, like we wrote, we went and like checked Neo, the boxes. The original Neo. Neo was on a whiteboard. That wouldn't whiteboard. work in a small team now. No, it was rough. The, the, the worst was we had a lady that worked for us in processing come in and we were talking with her and she leaned against the whiteboard. Half of our data <laughs> gone. Like, no, never Tanya, to be seen again. Geez. You're done. Exactly. So, um, I mean, it was started like whiteboard systems, no processes. Uh, we originally sent some reps out to New Jersey because we didn't even know if you could sell solar. We're like, can it be sold door to door? We didn't know how people bought solar. And the feedback was like, hey, we can sell it and we can sell it like a lot of it and really easy. And the whole thesis was if we could have a similar acquisition cost on a $30,000 solar system as we have on an alarm system, the economics would be amazing. And obviously it's evolved a ton since then. But mm -hmm. I mean, you remember our original pay scales were tiny. And um, oh, I remember. How, just how tiny were they, gentlemen? I remember. What do you, I think what do you we... remember? You're, you were before me. Mine yeah. was 220. Yeah. When I started, it was 220 a kilowatt. When I started, I want to say I made 170. 50 bucks a kilowatt on CAD complete. Yeah. Right? Yep. Adam Cox was talking now, mind about that. Like, you you it it took you yeah. about three weeks to get a CAD. <laughs> I mean, so, these, those were rare. Rare prizes at that time. Which literally, now you do on an iPad, shoulder to shoulder with somebody that you met 30 minutes ago. Yeah, so, so I think it was 50 bucks a kilowatt on CAD complete. And then I want to say you got another 130 or 120 yeah. at install. 120 bucks a kilowatt at yeah, install. So, And then our, our average system size, I know at least in Boston, was like 3.7 or around 4 kilowatts. Because um, we just didn't know what we were yeah, doing. It's, it's crazy but, how the games change, but... One thing I would say is one thing that hasn't changed is it's just people that grind. Like the culture and the idea, it was never like, is this going to work? Mm. Can we make it happen? It was, you know, in the DNA of Vivint Solar to, to win no matter what. It's like, we're all, we will figure it out. And there were lots of headwinds. I remember our contracts we originally signed for like the first several months weren't compliant. And we had to go re-sign every single PPA yeah. we had signed. Mm. And I mean, there was just like weird, I mean, we just were figuring it out. It was like any other startup. Um, so it was, it was very much that culture, though, the culture of winning. I think that's part of the reason it's been successful, though. Like, um, all, you know, Jeff Gallivan once told me that um, going to an under-resourced company or a company that doesn't have the same, like, mentality or values yeah. that you have will expose you. And I think Vivint Solar makes people better than they are for that reason, because we're at corporate right now. And at any given moment, there will be a group of highly motivated people circling up, attacking a problem. Yeah. And I think without that, ultimately, you don't grow to the size that, that we're at. Like, that's such an important part of our culture that I feel like a lot of people don't even understand. Yeah. Is that at the core of it, there are people that are sales-minded 
that are grinding to to make this bigger thing happen. Yeah, for sure. I think people don't uh, don't appreciate that as enough in a, in when they evaluate where they're going to work. And I think having a culture that is focused on the sales rep, one that's going to take care of the sales rep, and a non-quit type culture is really important when you're trying to figure out where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. Yeah, I think um, when we're recruiting, um, I always talk about the two kind of main financial events that we experienced pretty early in my career. Um, uh, the first was Blackstone purchasing the company, right? Yep. I mean, the advantage that that is. Uh, the second is the company going public before most of our current competitors were even started. Yeah. Right. The fact that that happened so many years ago, it's a pretty important piece of our culture, but you were doing a completely different job back then. I was, yeah. Yeah, so back then I was raising all of our money. So when we first started Vivint Solar, um, I came in and I was trying to figure out where I could add value. And I wanted to make sure I positioned myself in a spot that would be irreplaceable as quickly as possible. And I knew there was a lot of really good sales talent. I loved sales culture, but I knew I wasn't going to go, you know, set myself apart in the sales world at that point in the career, you know, where I was and where the company was. Mm -hmm. um, and when we did the model of the kind of economics of Vivint Solar, we realized that we needed a way to monetize the tax credits. So every time you sell a solar system, if we keep the solar system with a PPA or a lease product, we get all the tax credits. And if you don't, uh, if you have more tax credits than you owe in taxes, they just sit there. Mm -hmm. And so we had to go figure out how are we gonna go monetize these tax credits? How do we make, turn these into money? They're illegal to sell, you can't sell tax credits. So we spent, I don't know, probably three months working with some of the top accountants and lawyers in the country, trying to figure out what was our model and what was our strategy for monetizing these tax credits. So we didn't have anyone to follow at that time, really? There, there, was, there was no was precedence for it, all, really. Right? And, and other industries had done things similar, but in solar, not, not, it wasn't happening. And so for me, it was interesting. I mean, I was 25 years old, and I, I had never worked that hard in my life. And I'd have had a career before that where it was very demanding and was running my own business. But I remember getting put into that. I remember Tongi, who was our CEO at the time, who's still probably the sharpest financial mind I've worked with. He gave me this model. He's like, I think this is what we can do. And he showed me the model. And I was like, I don't even know what is happening. I don't know what this... Yeah. There were so many tabs and they were connected to stuff. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. So he's like, I want you to rebuild this model and see if you get to the same result. And then he, and he was going out of town. And he was coming back in like three days. And I remember I was stressed out of my mind. I'm like... I have to rebuild the model, and I don't you even barely know. Understand I'm not, I don't even kind of understand. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know what is it. Is my computer screen even like yeah. facing the right direction? <laughs> so I would. I remember I like called my dad. I was asking him questions. I called like all the finance people at Vivint. I was like, Hey, can you come look at this model and trying to not look like stupid, but doing anything like tapping any resource I could to go figure out what he was even talking about, and. Over time, and as I just stared at these pages and started understanding how the model worked, by you know by studying and committing and just grinding on it, I became like a master of it. And I understood the model, rebuilt the model, maximized the model, rebuilt a completely better model, and then we started raising money. And so the whole model was how to like, finance it, right? How it was, to how, it was it. how to finance it. It was what was the projections, um, and the complicated piece is bringing in tax equity partners. And, and monetizing the tax credits. He's like Neo from The Matrix. Yeah. When all of a sudden More. the numbers start making sense. <laughs> That's right. So you I just had, stared I at it long enough. Or 
if you want to use it like an example that's applicable to me, when you stare at one of those hologram pictures and <laughs> then, then all of a sudden it? you see the elk on the mountain, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, Are you the type of person happened. that can see it? Can you see those? Oh, yeah. I, can I see wish it you were wearing one of those shirts, right? Yeah, remember they had shirts it. of those? Yeah. You just stand and I'm look getting, at their chest. I want one of those. <laughs> I'll get you one. Yeah. Christmas is coming. Next my next league pack. There you go. Hey, league hologram packs. shirts. Yes. Hologram shirts. <laughs> that's, kind of a, that's kind of become a, a, a pattern for your career as I've observed it, though, is taking something that maybe you don't inherently understand or frankly really no business doing yeah. raising money as a 25 year old on wall street when you couldn't even interpret the message initially but understanding i have to add value yeah was the place that i can i, I wish more people thought like that because one of the questions that we have for you is looking back i mean that was only eight years ago yeah it probably seems like a lifetime it does seems a long time ago but look at the like does it surprise you where we are now like when you really think about that like we worked for this for such a long time. Does it surprise you? Every now and then I look around and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, it becomes normal, but there's oftentimes you kind of have these like crazy, like wow moments. I remember one of them early on, you know, at first you knew everybody that worked at Vivint Solar. Mm -hmm. There was five and then there was 15 and you knew everybody. And I remember I came in one day and I didn't know like three or four people. And I'm like, hey, who hired you? And I went and asked them. I'm like, hey, who hired you? And they said someone's name, and I'm like, I don't even know that person. I don't know the person that hired you. And I'm like, this thing's really growing. This is sweet. I think we're gonna make some money. So I mean, it was it uh, it started growing really fast. And um, but throughout the you know every you know nine months or so, I would say I have a moment where I'm just like, geez, this thing's bigger. I go to one of your guys' conferences. I remember that's right. You know, one me. was when we went to that the Massachusetts conference that you guys had um, with plus ones at like a hotel casino. Mm -hmm. And we walked in. It was where you gave your speech about, you know, football. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in, I mean, there was 600 people there or yeah, something. I mean, I was like, I what? So. This is insane. And I was in Boston. And so it's, it's been really fun to see the growth. And that, that invigorates me and drives me and motivates me for sure. When you first started going into these meetings with banks and yeah. trying to raise money, you're 25, 26 years old, you're – it's like you're you're one lesson ahead, uh, like like you're teaching yeah. piano and you watched a YouTube video, <laughs> that learned morning. a lesson, and then you're like teaching someone. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm your teacher. I'm gonna teach you how to play this. Yeah, and they don't know it was, you just it was learned pretty it much like like that. that morning, right? So is that kind of what it was like going into these meetings? It was. How it wasn't the early days for sure. How were you even setting up the meetings? That's what I was gonna ask. How, like, do, you how do you? I mean, because that's. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. So the the first thing was. Um, I had a suit from my mission. I served an LDS mission, and it was like baggy and yeah. just not sharp. Had it was like the, the liner inside. It was the a very pants. unsharp suit. <laughs> and I remember I showed up in New York for our first meeting with Todd and Alex and and Tongi, and it was a bank that they had a relationship through Vivint. And we went to the meeting, and afterwards Tongi's like, "Hey, we need to go shopping in New York for a new suit because <laughs> if you're going to raise money, you need to look like a New Yorker." Yeah. And so part of it, I think, is like looking the part. And like I said on that model, you know, that was the start of it. But pretty quickly, I became, I would say, I knew as much or more about raising tax equity in residential solar as anybody in the world, period. And I was 25 years old. And it was because I was committed to it and I just focused on learning it and wouldn't give up. And so I remember standing up, you know, speaking at like a conference. And I'm 26 years old. And I'm talking on solar financing. And people are like, who is this kid? But that, that was kind of a, I think I was maybe too dumb to realize how weird it was. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to a meeting with a bank 
And I'd go in and I had a good suit now, finally. And I'd sit down and I'd, I think I just didn't realize how unique it was. And so I just owned it. And I think they were so like enamored by like this young kid and what was happening that they gave me hundreds of millions of dollars. That's sales though, man. Like how many times have we in different situations, whether it's recruiting, whether it's, you know, meeting with your boss or, yeah. or walking into a door, do you feel like everyone's just figuring it out? Right. Yeah. Nobody actually has it dialed. And so, I mean, I tell people all the time, I still remember the first door I knocked. I still remember my first solar door I knocked. I yeah. remember my first sale. I remember everything about it because I felt like that. Yeah. Right. And then it's that that sales. Well, I think, the fun I think of that's it, something you know? people forget is everybody's just a person. And people get really intimidated by certain people because or situations. And as you progress in your career, like that happens less and less. But that's something for whatever reason, I just didn't have a lot of that in me. Even my first business that we had, you know, we would meet with whoever and sometimes I would change my role even. I mean, I owned the company and I would tell them I was a sales guy because that was more appropriate for who I mm. was because I think they would lose confidence if they knew I owned the company. Yeah. And so <laughs> you'd be like, oh, Mr. Dixon's not going to like this. Yeah. But I'll ask him. <laughs> <laughs> See what he says. Yeah. Well, the principles there. So. I'll train sometimes on this. Um, everyone says you need confidence to sell. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of times it takes sales, Since making sales to sales. make, to give you the confidence. So it's like, how do you get in this cycle of success? And the the answer is the knowledge. Yeah. Right? And so you started there. You became a master at understanding the solar finance world. That gave you the confidence to walk into a bank, knowing that you knew yeah. more about it than anyone there. And then you just owned it when you walked in, right? And yeah. I think so many of our sales guys, they they go and they start, they might be confident naturally, and then all of a sudden they go and fall flat on their face the first Beat couple of weeks they're bit. with us, and it rattles them. Yeah. And what they're missing is that knowledge. And you you paid the price really, like, I mean, you knew your job depended on it. Yeah. Like, you knew your life depended on yeah. you figuring this out because it was a niche that no one else was yeah. mastering, right? And that's, that'd be a message for sure, especially for our young reps, but really any rep that gets in a funk. Like I, I think a lot of people are naturally confident and I have natural confidence, I think from an early age, but understanding your job and having the knowledge, exactly what you're saying, I couldn't agree more. What, I remember when I'd go into the meetings, my confidence was sky high. I knew I knew more about this topic than anybody in the room. I knew exactly any question you want to ask me, I'm cool. And like, you're excited to share it. That's absolutely. The thing, right? And I'm like, if someone wants to come and watch, like any like boss or partner or other banker, like come, because I'm going to look legit when I go talk to you or, or to this group, because I know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's not a lot of areas in my life where I feel that way. But in that job at that time, I knew exactly what I was doing. Just because you put in the work. That's it. That's all. And I'm not like, it wasn't being smart or anything. It was just a lot of legitimately 16, 18 hour days. I remember I slept at the office several times just studying and researching to become a master of this topic. You can you can sense those people. Um, you know, we see our salespeople all the time. That's what we do most of the time. And uh, I have a couple people right now that we've hired on that I'm fully confident are going to be great. Yeah. Because they'll ask me these questions and I'm like, how long have you been here? And they're like, oh, well, I was reading up on this and then I asked yeah. this person and then this other person they're sent like, me perfect. this and I was like, you're going to be you, fine. You yeah. can tell from the questions reps are asking you how good they're going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was the... What was the moment where it was like a surreal moment where you're like, holy crap, I just raised how much? And how did you even know 
how much to ask for. Like, <laughs> I mean, like you're sitting there, you're like, like two you're like, million. I mean, no. it's like a, when I'm in a house and I'm like deciding, trying to figure what out rate what to the close rate them is. At? And I like in my head, I'm like, should I go max rate? Should I go? And I'm, and I'm like, and then I comes out of my mouth and it's like the lowest rate. <laughs> Cause I a hundred percent, am not trying to lose that deal. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, in your head where you're like, should I go for 10 million, 30 million, 50? Like, how like do you do two mil- you, I mean, I'm million. sure you go yeah. in with a plan, but then that, that moment comes where, you know, you're going to ask the question for the amount and you can feel it coming. Yeah. Like walk us through that. Um, that's a, that's a really good question in, in raising capital on wall street. It's a little bit different where usually you, you go and you present a model and you'd say, this is a hypo, like a hypothetical scenario of a hundred million dollar investment. This is what it would look like, and we can size it, you know, down by twenty five percent or up three hundred percent, and just kind of that's a range. Mm. So, where you start what, the range is is part of the sales pitch. It, it is for sure, and you kind of know your banks that you're going to meet with or the mm-hmm. different investors, and you know what they can stomach. And so, there's quite a bit of research on on uh, beforehand that takes place where you know how much tax appetite do they have, what's already been offset, and you can try to research that stuff a little bit so you don't go into someone that you know has a $2 million, you know, tax appetite. And you're like, I want $200 million. And they're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Or go to a guy with a billion dollars. And you're like, we'd like $3 million, you know? He's like, he's so, like, yeah, let me look in my couch cushions yeah, here. I have it right here. Here <laughs> yeah. you go. So I, I think um, being prepared and understanding as much as you can about a customer, um, whether it's a bank or a person. And I think understanding, you know, if you're on the doors, and, and it's a little more intense and direct in door-to-door sales, like you're saying, on a rate. But the more you can learn about a customer's power build, their consumption, their needs, their future needs, the more confidence I think you can have mm. in asking for a rate instead of just being like, "Did I'm pulling this one out. We're going max rate on this one. And that's a great you know, it was point. a bad idea. Have you talked to other solar companies? And just as much context as you can gather and background as you can gather, I think that's universally applicable. Yeah, that's a great point. That's qualifying, right, in our sales process. Yeah. Um, it's funny because a lot of reps will come to us and say, hey, what would you tell my friend to get him into solar? And I'm like... I can't present until I understand who he is. It's so true. And I think a lot of the nervousness that comes from starting in leadership at this job starts from selling is people are looking, they're looking so hard for the thing that's going to stick instead of maybe asking a couple questions, doing the research. Because generally, if you ask the right questions, your banks, so your client in this case, will tell you, right? Yeah. If you say, what kind of tax appetite do you have? And they're like, man, we're really just looking to do this. Okay, there's my presentation. Yeah. Here we go. Same thing with, with well, customers listening or recruits. Too. I think a lot of guys even hear the concern, but they actually don't listen to it and try and understand like the second layer of the concern or the third layer. Yeah. So, And I think that's applicable in any relationship, whether it's, you know, sales or just in personal relationship with your spouse or a friend or a kid, actually trying to listen and understand where people are coming from. It's getting able to be, to, to be a lot more successful in your life and in your relationships. If you try to understand you know, where someone's at, right? And so I, I think that's a great skill and that's really important for people to focus on. What, um, this ambition that you have, right? It's confidence, whatever. But when you guys started, did you think, hey, if I if I execute well, this will be the opportunity of a lifetime? Or were you, is this something that you were just doing at the moment and you put your heart into everything that you do? Where, where did the ambition meet the opportunity for you, yeah, if you can articulate it? That's a good question. Um, so, Maybe I'll go back even a little further yeah. on my answer. I remember uh, I was going to BYU, getting my degree. And when I was in college, we lived in a, in a townhouse. 
one of my roommates was Taylor Turnbull. And we were living in this townhouse and it started and it had no heater in the house, um, but had a big wood burning stove. That was what how year it heated, was this? That's how it heated the house. <laughs> this is like it's not, what year was it built? <laughs> yeah. So you could tell we didn't have a lot of money. So we were we were in this little duplex, and that's how it how it heated. And so we bought some firewood that we thought would last us the winter. It was like six dollars. You have firewood. no context. It, yeah, <laughs> it lasts us one one evening. Yeah. We're like, okay, what are we gonna do? Because we can't buy a bundle of you know whatever a little bag of wood every Yo, day. Taylor, we pick up the firewood. Hey, you got the, you got the you got the wood. It's You're freezing, like, man. Yeah. Who's got the wood tonight? Yeah. So it's um, amazing. So anyway, so we started just getting wood wherever we could. And the easiest place was like the railroad ties separating the parking spots in our parking lot. You guys are like surviving out there, man. Times were tough in the early days. Um, Foraging for wood. I remember chopping down, this is a true story, our banister (laughs) off our duplex and burning our banister. We burnt the banister. You're like, by the time we have to replace it, we'll have the money. Don't worry about it. it. Things got crazy. And I mean, totally true story. You looked at each we other and thought, the, yeah. we're, we're foregoing our deposits. Yeah. We're foregoing yeah. our deposits. The deposits the were gone. Yep. The deposits we need were to survive long, tonight. Those were long gone. Yeah. We burned most of the cabinets in our house. That is true crazy. story. So we'd, take, we'd rip the cabinets off the wall, put them in the fire pit. Whatever girls we had over thought it was hilarious. And we <laughs> so that became work. like part of your stick. It was part of our thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like we were literally burning our house down. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and it was out of necessity. So um, I don't remember where I was going with that question. That's a great but, story. Uh, but, no, but that, so where the, where the ambition met. That's that. right. So when you're burning your house down to stay warm, you get ambitious, right? And I think that has just kind of carried over through my life. When we had our first business, Meter Solutions, that I started with um, and ran with Taylor, for me, it wasn't like, hey, this is a fun project. Like, that'd be sweet if it worked. It was, it was I started the company the week before I got married, and I wanted to impress my wife, and I knew I had to like, provide for my wife. And it was, it was, I have to make this work. And if things ever weren't like going well, it was, I felt like it was do or die. I had my dad and my grandpa invest in the company originally. And the, like the weight and the obligation that I felt to make sure their investment was made whole, that they got money back and that I was providing, it was like, I don't, it was like forced ambition. It was, I absolutely had to win and I had to be successful because this was all I had. And was Courtney aware of how thin <laughs> this thing was? Like, oh. or were you like, was your sales pitch here? You're like, oh yeah, I, yeah, I own my own company. It's yeah, it's Meter Solutions. And little did she know that times like, were yeah, yeah, like it was uh, hanging yeah. by a thread at all times, kind of thing. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, she's she's a lot smarter than I am. So when I got married, um, I had ninety one dollars and fifty four cents. I remember that, and we got married. And every time we would it's bid, so crazy, it's crazy. It's like, hey, you pop a tire, it's an emergency. It's, no, that's you're done. You're bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. You're bankrupt. The car's totaled. Yeah, the yeah, car. Right. You just walk away. You just walk. I owe more than my net worth. I'm yeah. out. So I, um, I remember we we um, had started Meter Solutions, and it was an absolute grind. Like you just had to make it successful, and that's just that's just kind of how we lived. And so when Vivint came around. Like I said earlier, that was the same mentality. It was, it was, you have to grind, you have to make it work, and you have to be successful because that's the only option. And so when we'd call these cities, um, which is what we did in, in for our meter business, it was smart it meters. Was, right? It was smart meters for large utilities. Mm-hmm. I remember every time we would submit a bid, Courtney would be, you know, sitting there, and I'd be like, "Babe, we just submitted this bid. 
and I'd pull up the spreadsheet and be like, if we do this, we're going to be millionaires every time. <laughs> and then we'd win half of them. And then there's as you, always... throw, as you throw a drawer into the fire. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Court, can you unscrew the door off that cabinet? <laughs> and they pop the hinges. It's getting, yeah. <laughs> freezing. So we, um, every time I was like, we're going to be millionaires. And it never panned out. Like every job had unforeseen problems and yes. things. Um, and she was always just so even kill. Just like, awesome, babe. I'm so excited for you. Just so encouraging. Like she was just really wise beyond, you know, her experience or her years in that, where she was supportive, encouraging, helped motivate me, but also didn't like ride the highs too high or the lows ever down at all. And, uh, you know, she's been like an absolute rock for me and a big part of my success. Isn't that good marital advice for any wife, especially married to any sales guy? Yeah. And like, it's like your husband, the salesperson or your wife, whatever, is going to take you on the ride. By nature, that's what we do. We take the ride. We get really excited. We commit. We go for it. But I think that whole being not too down in the lows, not too high in the highs, it, that's a, there's a real like kind of like emotional maturity to that that engenders long careers. For sure. And and whether Lots of people come in and flame out real fast, but the Kind of like the ones that can be steady. Yeah, they can just the rhythm, right? They can just ride it. Yeah, I think. And whether it's you know a spouse that's helping you, or someone in your office, or someone in you know a friend, whatever it is, having people in your life that can help keep you steady is really valuable, and and will will help you a lot in your career. Before we move on, we have to hear my favorite Paul story, which is relevant to the meter solution stuff. So you guys are <laughs> broke, married, college oh, yeah. kids. <laughs> Right, you're figuring out this business that you're doing, and you and Taylor, who is one of our top guys out in Cali, uh, for the guys on the East Coast that don't yeah. know Taylor, um, you guys get this thing teed up to where you're about to get a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. So what happened? Um, I wish I never would have started this story. It's a great Taylor, story. By the way, Taylor, if you're listening, this is all me. By the way, so <laughs> I, it's my favorite story, it's and I hope Taylor one. can laugh about it now. And I think the subject is going to listen to it. Taylor There's going to be probably a reunion. Laugh. It still hurts for me. It still stings. <laughs> so um, the way most of these projects work is, if you win the pilot and do a good job, they invite you to help like write and craft the RFP, like the request for proposal. And you do it in a way that only your company would win that bid. And so we went, we did a pilot. It was down like by uh, Monterey, California. And it was a giant project with huge margins. We did the pilot. We made great money on the pilot. We did an awesome job. The team loved us. Like it was like in the bag. And our, our business had been building and we had a couple big projects that had hit and it was all kind of culminating with this project. And this project would have been like legitimately, you know, really, you know, worth, it was worth millions of bananas. Yeah. The spreadsheet, even if it did go bad, we would have made millions of dollars. <laughs> okay. So, um, I mean, your life in your mind, your life is it's like, set. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, I remember sitting at the computer with Taylor and we finished our response to the request for proposal. <laughs> and we had a couple private equity partners at the time and Taylor sent it around internally was the intention to me and a couple of our partners for review. And so we wrote the whole email and then attached our proposal. And at the very end of it, um, the main guy over at the, the city that was the decision maker um, had this big mustache. Ron, Ron Scacia was his name. I'll never forget it. What's up, Ron? Ron, if you're What's listening, up, I apologize Ron, again for like, what give happened. Give us a second chance, man. <laughs> so, no, Ron, Paul's been through enough. Ron like doesn't. They... He cuts. He gives no second chances. <laughs> so, um, so Taylor wrote, 
you know, there were all the conditions and, and all the things <laughs> to the deal. So one of the conditions that he wrote, you know, just all a, professional, just as a joke to the internal partners, was that Ron Skasha needed to shave his dirty mustache. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so he he had that. He sent it around to the internal partners, but everybody wrote back, "Haha, crazy funny." Uh, the proposal looks great, by the way. Send it off. Can't wait to win the win the job. So Taylor just copy pasted sent and forgot <laughs> to take it out. No. So we're sitting at the computer, and I remember sitting. And I like put my arm around him. I'm like, dude, this is our moment. This is amazing. He's like, this is great. Life's great. Like there's there's Steve and Wozniak. There's Jobs and Wozniak. Yeah, yeah. There's Bill Gates, and you know, I mean, yeah. and then there's Dixon and Turnbull. Man. <laughs> we just crushed it. Yeah. And we're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, Taylor's like. He just got like this sick look on his face. And he's like, <laughs> and he just scrambled over the computer, ran over there, pulled oh, it up. And he's so like, painful. I forgot to take it out. <laughs> and uh, I remember looking at it like 15 times. I'm like, no way. You sent that to him. So anyway, we sent that message. And I didn't quote it perfectly. There was a little bit of profanity in there uh, from Taylor. So anyway, long story short, we never heard back from them. <laughs> After our apology email, everything never heard back. Did not win the job. Wait, so um, you you guys sent an apology? Email. Taylor sent an apology. A preemptive. Email. Like, How do you apologize? He's like, caught, his apology was hey, like, you caught me. How hey. soon after he sent it did he send the apology email? Um, twenty minutes, probably. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was so quick. pretty quick. But I mean, it's, it doesn't seem very sincere. It's like, hey, sorry, that was some inner office humor. It just it didn't. It doesn't fly with Ron. It doesn't fly with Ron. I feel Ron awkward, doesn't. and this was years ago, and I wasn't there. I feel awkward in this moment yeah. hearing about it. I mean, you we know, all know Ron is one. not messing around with that. Yeah, you're going to make some mistakes for sure. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you what mistakes you've made, but I think we covered that. That one really wasn't my mistake, though. Well, you got in the, you <laughs> got in the call. Hey, man. Hey, you you're going to say this to your... You proofread it, and you said send. <laughs> you're going to say this to Caitlin, your daughter, at some point. Hey, you got in the car. That's right. So you got in the car. Paul, uh, if you could choose right now, which celebrity would you want to hang out with? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, it tells more about you than you know. Can I have other people with me? Sure. It's just me and them. There's no rules. Um, I'm actually, people say I look a little bit like Mark Wahlberg. I thought that I was going to come out. I am a huge Mark Wahlberg fan, so it'd be Mark Wahlberg. Who would you choose? If my Who wife be- could say it would be Zac Efron, and she'd be mad that I didn't pick him if I had a chance. So All right. I would be up. mad too. Here's Zach the one Efron, I like. Yeah. yeah. Here's the one I like. You got dinner. It's a six uh, six chair table. It's you and your wife and you can fill the other four spots with anyone like you that. want. So Mark and Zach are coming, obviously. <laughs> Mark, and Zach, and Mark and Zach will be there. Um, I'd probably pick the two of you guys. Oh, come on. I mean, the, the electric people hosts. Oh, come on. Yeah, the two of you guys. Well, we'd ask really poignant questions all night. You guys are thoughtful. So, we would yeah. just build that angst between you and Zach with Courtney there uh-huh. and try to really make that thing yeah. an experience. Yeah. That I, like, could feel. I like I like Mark it. would come out winning some somehow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Would, yeah. I like it to be a little awkward. <laughs> you know, I like that awkward tension. Um, talk about, if you can, a time when Vivint Solar almost didn't make it. This is crazy to me because when I came on board, uh, you know, I was at our sister company yep. and things looked great. From my limited knowledge of solar, I was like, this is going to be awesome. I didn't see so any, easy. no signs roll. of bad yeah. weather. And now when I look back, I realize that we were literally sprinting across a landmine yeah. or land, uh, minefield in certain different instances. So maybe talk about a couple of the times where, man, we almost didn't make it and we did. Yeah. So I think that's something people don't recognize in business. And I remember I learned this early on. Our meter business almost went out of business 
once a week. Yeah. And then we were almost retiring once a week. <laughs> right? I mean, it was the yeah. we were the kings of roller coaster. And um, when I came to Vivint, I remember seeing Vivint. And when Vivint bought my business, is kind of the background, um, the alarm is or the alarm company did. And I remember they had this huge party with Nitro Circus there. And I'm like, they must have spent like a couple million dollars, it seemed like. I don't know what they actually spent on this party. And I'm like, this company is giant. They're set for life. And so we sold our business to them. Fast forward, we started Vivint Solar. And I thought Vivint Solar, same thing, was just going to be this like cakewalk. And what, what it really unfolded and what I learned really quickly was there are no businesses that are just easy, right? All of them take work and grind. And, and Vivint Solar was no different. There was a lot of times where, you know, you're putting on your best face, you're driving the business forward, you have a you know, like no quit type attitude, but times are really tight. You know, cash was really tight. Uh, fundraising was really tough or sales were down. I mean, there was just a lot of really tight pinch points. I remember specifically, we were trying to raise some money um, to capitalize the business. And I remember Todd came and grabbed me, the founder of Vivint. And he said, hey, man, just so you know, like, we're going to sell, we're going to grow, we're going to do installs, we can do all of that. But if you don't raise this money on Friday, we're out of business. No pressure, man. And left. <laughs> and I'm like, we're out of business. Sweet. Like, Vivint Solar's out Vivint of business? Vivint Solar. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and he wasn't joking. Yeah, and the I, rest of us are just yeah. out knocking doors, don't even realize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, you you're know. on your last tank of gas, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm rolling around a Prius out in Boston. Yeah, exactly. Just thinking everything's great. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, you know, in the early days, it was, there were several situations where, you know, if we didn't close financing, we couldn't fund our accounts. And, you know, it was me with $91 and 54 cents in my pocket all over again. It was like, you've got to raise that money. And that's the time when I operate really well. Like I, I like being backed in a corner. I like competing against myself. I like that pressure. Um, and we're still alive. So, well, the other part of that story. So we're eight years into this thing, right? at Vivint Solar. Yep. And we've gone through a few different CEO transitions. And, you know, I've always just been out in the field selling. And you, you know, when I, whenever I, I was really everything to sports. And when a head coach gets fired, typically his entire staff gets fired. Mm -hmm. And you were essentially like an assistant coach to the CEO each time. And that might mean I'm the worst assistant coach of all time. <laughs> well, what I've always been impressed <laughs> That's where with I was going. is I feel like you've reinvented yourself four or five times over the last eight years just within our company. Yeah. You know, you started out raising the money, which we spent time talking about, but then you went into ops and then yeah. sales ops and different types of the, and, you know, the company obviously saw the value in you and we're like, all right, Paul's our Swiss Army knife. Let's have him attack our biggest weakness right now. You know, so how have you kind of survived those CEO transitions and and what's that been like? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. Every CEO has a different personality and a different approach to making a business successful. And it's it's a really delicate balance to go and execute to the CEO's vision while staying kind of true to yourself and helping drive the business in a direction that you think is successful. And so for me, I've always tried to build the business in a way that I think is good, um, but obviously with a really good knowledge of what the CEO's focus is. And you know, with each CEO, we've had very different CEOs. We've had a finance CEO, we've had a sales CEO, we've had an ops CEO. 
And the way they think about things, the way they want to see data, they, the way, uh, you know, what success is to them has varied quite a bit, you know, over time. And even, you know, layer on top of that, the evolution of the solar industry, um, it's changed a lot for sure. And I think the biggest thing is you just have to deliver results every day, no matter what, be true to yourself and, you know, be aware of your audiences. Interesting. What's been your, what's, what are the different challenges or, um, I guess, what are the things you've enjoyed the most about working in each part of the business and how has that changed your perspective toward, you know, early on you were on the ops side and we didn't work with you. You yeah. know, I always knew who you were, Yep. but I just knew chance and the sales side and I'd hear your name or whatever. Um, but I didn't know you had no relationship and now you're on the sales side. So how does that background of being in all those different parts of the business affect your perspective now that you're on the sales side? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. Wherever I've worked, I've felt like, um, you know, when I was in finance or ops, neither of those felt like I was where I was naturally um, most, you know, skilled. And when I've come, as I've gotten into sales and integrated into sales and kind of um, grown into this role, that's where I feel most comfortable. And the people, the style, the approach, like that mentality that we have in this company around sales is it just like resonates with me. I get energy from it and absolutely love it. But it, it, it has been really interesting to work in finance and, and see how finance people think about the world. Then working in ops and seeing how ops people think about the world. And now trying to take those two perspectives and apply them to sales. Um, you know, it's funny, David David said, um, when I transitioned from ops to sales, um, after a few weeks, he's like, dude, you just pulled the biggest 180 ever. He's like, before you were trying to be efficient and maximize cost, and now you're like throttled down, <laughs> forget about all, he's like, you're trying to rip all the systems and pr like protections that you put in place out so you can just like fly. And so I'm maybe a little guilty of, of, uh, of that, but I have, I have definitely tried to focus on building a well-rounded approach taking what I've learned in the different organizations and apply them to um, all come together to build a good business. And I think, um, you know, as a whole, I think there's been a lot of maturity, you know, with our group. Things that, you know, in the early days would have been a challenge are now like, yeah, absolutely. And I think everybody's learned together. And, and that's one thing I've loved about being here is the people I get to work with are world-class, incredibly smart, really talented at what they do and all in committed. Yeah. We, we did an interview a couple years ago, um, and I still remember kind of one of your main points from that interview was, it was, uh, and I'm going to ask you the same question at the end, but uh, it was just, what advice do you have for up-and-coming leaders at this company? And the advice that you gave was, learn as much as you can about the business and how it operates and functions. And I think the, the reason I want to touch on that for a second is because a lot of times salespeople are guilty of this. So for salespeople, tune in. Um, we only see, we, 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 we propose things through our lens, yeah. right? We say, I want this because this will help me get this, but they don't ask the question, why is this in place or what is the goal of everybody else? To Adam's point, you've successfully navigated pretty much every department of a solar company. I mean, finance, ops, sales, I mean, maybe there's marketing and, and customer relations, but that's still pretty much sales. Does that advice still hold true? And what can guys do to learn more about the business so that they can be a more valuable asset? Yeah, I think um, try to, 
trying to see things from other people's perspective is a really important thing for anybody to do in really any situation. And it's been interesting, whereas, you know, in the early days, most of the, the interactions with sales reps was looking at it through one lens. A lot of our reps, historically, that was the approach. It was like, this is what I want. I don't understand why you can't do it. I don't really care to understand, but this is what I want. I would say for the last several years, it's been a far more thoughtful approach where people in sales are coming and saying, hey, I understand this is what I want. I know why I can't do it. What if we did it this way? And that's brought about so much more success and built a lot of relationships. And so, um, you know, if you're new at Vivint Sword, the trainings that we have and that we built for our teams, um, I think help enable people to be amazing sales professionals. But you can learn a lot about the company by watching those and seeing how people are talking and thinking about things. So I think I would really just encourage any of our new reps to spend a lot of time with the trainings and try to understand the business as much as possible. And anytime they're in Utah, we love taking people around, hosting them at corporate, and letting them go spend time with the different leaders of the different teams. That's, I mean, I would encourage anybody to spend time doing that when they're in Utah, because you can understand where people are coming from, and you're going to be far more successful and progress in your career here far faster. I read a book um, that talked about the hierarchy of value. I'm trying to think what book it's in. It might be a Seth Godin book, but it talks about... Um, kind of the the level of importance of certain skills. So it talks about the very lowest is people that can like lift and move, right? Just take this pile of rocks and put it over there. Adam Adam is good at a lot of things, but he'd be a good lifter mover. He'd be a good lifter mover, right? But society doesn't pay that much for that stuff, right? And then it goes up and it says, okay, people that can build things. You're a little bit more valuable. You add more value, but there's a lot of people that can do it. Uh, Then it goes into sales, leadership, whatever. The very top, the very highest value on this list that I saw was... Um, connecting people. If you can connect with people, connect people to ideas, connect people with what they want, which is essentially what you've done. I understand your objective. I understand your objective. Let's connect and find a solution. That's a really interesting thought. One, one thing that you know I tell my team is I'm not the best at any one single thing, but managing people, understanding where we need to go and getting people to go there with me is something I do feel like I'm really capable of doing. And I think it's because I do understand the business from other, you know, multiple aspects, and I care about the people I work with and try to understand their perspectives as well. So, Paul, just to introduce you to especially all of our new people, can you outline exactly uh, what departments that you currently manage on the sales side of the business are? Yeah, so we actually just did a reorg where um, we used to manage all of sales ops for the last several years. All of that is now pushed into operations. So today I have um, inside sales, retail, home builder, our dealer program, and then you know a lot of ties and, and kind of co-manage the door-to-door teams with Chance. All right. So my question is, you know, Ty and I both get these concerns and and emotional emails rolled up to us all the time about inside sales or retail and these yeah. channel conflicts, yeah. right? And our, our field guys, our door-to-door guys, a lot of times they don't understand. Um, and I always, I always kind of use the old saying, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And can you just help our sales guys, the field, understand why diversifying our sales acquisition you know, and the different channels, why that is good for them? Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's a really good question because on the surface, you'd be like, well, it's not. Someone else is competing to take their customers. Right. But when you stand back and you think about it, the solar industry has evolved a lot, largely because of dealers. So dealers have come in and they pay a lot of money to reps. We've changed our pay scales and we now pay a lot of money to our reps. And they do an amazing job. They work like crazy. They earn it. But there's a high premium for acquisition of solar. We spend about the same amount of money for acquisition as we do for equipment. And take that to a different industry. Think if you bought a car and it was 30 grand, but the commission was 30 grand. So you had to pay 60 grand for a $30,000 car. But if you could just call in, you could get it for 30. No one would use the sales rep. And so I think over time, there's going to be a migration where solar commissions may come down. I don't think it's in the next couple of years. I think we have a really long runway. But as more people understand and adopt solar five, seven, 10 years from now, I think there'll be a compression. As the consumer yeah. becomes more savvy. More savvy. Well, there's an right. inefficiency, right? Markets, there, there's an inefficiency. Markets, markets rationalize. And I know people are listening. are like, oh, geez. No. The message, and I, I say like, this all the time. like, don't have Paul on the podcast hey, anymore. Guy, cut him off. No, him we, off. we talk about this all the time. Like, we're in the tidal wave right now. Well, that, that was the point I was about to make. Yep. Your message you're hearing when I say that shouldn't be, oh, geez, oh, no. It should be awesome. I'm exactly where you want to be. If there's an irrational market, position yourself there. Yes. That's where you make a ton of money. So anybody listening that isn't selling for us, you should sell for us. And if you are selling for us, you should keep selling because you're in an irrational market in that unique spot. That's ideal. That's If, if you could like formulate and make that happen, that's what you want to have happen. So they're in amazing spots. Over time, as if that compresses, you know, let's say seven years from now, it starts compressing. The goal is to go stand up these other channels that will comprise a reasonable percent of our business and have those channels that are lower cost will enable us to continue paying doors reps high premium dollars because our total cost is at a lower level. You're able to keep those guys out on the doors, grinding and paying them good money where no one else can because all they have is the door-to-door approach. They have to pull back and pay their guys less and then all business flows to Vivint. And so I think a lot of people are just trying to live to fight today. And Vivint Solar is in a fortunate position where we're trying to think three, five, seven years out in the future. We're not smart enough to think 20 years yet, but three, five, or seven years where we're saying, okay, five years from now, what do we think is going to happen in the marketplace? And how do we hedge against that risk? What do you think is going to happen five years from now? I thought you were going 20. Way, and I'm like, Ty, I just no, told you I don't I feel like we just let our competitors like in our huddle. Fine. That combo right Remember when well, I'll just tell them they're all going to be working here in five to seven years. Those dealers, if you're, it's going to be tight. But didn't Urban Meyer write a book called My Playbook where he just published Urban it all? Play, and he's yeah. like, or, yeah. But um, let's talk about that. So um, three, five, seven years. What do you, Vivint Solar has a goal to be the largest energy provider in North America. What does yeah. that look like? It's not through just knocking more doors. That's part of it. Right. But when I think of that, I am almost like, man, we're going to have to partner with a utility or we're going to have to buy one or we're going to have to become one or yeah. we're going to have to do these big partnerships. So what is it? What does it look like? What does grid parity look like? What about new markets? What I can think, we expect? Yeah. So it's funny because when we first started Vivint Solar, maybe 18 months or two years in, there's, you know, 200 employees. It's tiny. And I remember I, you know, went in and was talking to a group and I'm like, hey, if you're here right now, you're one of the early people. And there's 200 people there. It was in a room and you're packed. 200 people is a lot of people in a room. And I remember some of the kids were like rolling their eyes. Like, dude, we we missed the boat. This thing's already big. We now have 4,000 people. And I remember maybe six months ago, I was in a group of about 1,000 people and I had the same message. And I'm like, guys, you're at the very beginning. 
We are just getting started. And if you like play this right and work hard and keep growing, you can be sitting on top of a really big business. And I don't think people recognize opportunities until they're gone. And so what I, what I would stress like so strongly is Vivint Solar is positioned perfectly in a market. We are a unicorn. We're a really unique business and we're on an absolute rocket ship that is going to dominate in the market. And what people fail to see is they look at what am I doing today? I'm grinding today or I have this problem today. I can't get this CAD back or, you know, legal said I couldn't do something. And they get like hedged up by that and they think that's the ship they're on. When, what they, when if they were able to step back and look and say, okay, what's really happening in the marketplace? Well, Vivint Solar is charging forward. We're growing at 15 to 20% year over year right now. And when you look at what's happening with um, traditional power companies, we're increasing our spread from them, meaning we're more and more attractive to consumers. I wholeheartedly have for several years and do now 100% believe we will be the largest provider of power in America. And we're going to have tens of thousands of employees that work here. And if you're here now, that means you can be on top of the kingdom. And you just have to go work and go grind, learn the trade, learn the business, learn it from different aspects, figure out where your unique niche is, and you can dominate and have an unbelievable career. But Vivint Solar structure you know, people are like, oh, you're the second largest solar company. No, we're not. We're the largest solar company by like a huge margin. Sunrun does solar financing. That's very different. And they finance that with a bunch of other banks. We finance stuff with a bunch of other banks. The difference is that's all Sunrun does. They then have a bunch of people that they outsource ops to. They're ops companies mm -hmm. and they have sales dealers. We do our own ops. We have thousands of technicians, electricians, Sales reps, they all work for Vivint Solar. The next biggest solar company is small. We are the absolute dominant player in this space. And you know that, that people need to recognize when they're working here that because the marketplace is seeing that more and more. And I guarantee you, fast forward five, seven, 10 years, what you're gonna see is, oh my gosh, they do have 12,000 employees now or 15,000 employees now. And their market penetration is massive. And so, if I'm, if I'm looking at it, I would say you have a strategic partner um, like a utility company or something that's now invested in here you know, three, five years from now, and you're taking over massive, massive market share. And once you start kind of, I think we've been in the grind stage. You know, It's like in sales, you go through like the grind stage and then it just gets easy and you're like, whoa, it's like slippery. It's like it's running away from yeah. me and I'm just installing everything I touch. All of a sudden you're not calling back referrals and things <laughs> exactly. like that yeah 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 what why do you think so if i'm a competitor and somebody says oh in five three to five to seven years the market will consolidate why am i why shouldn't i be rolling my eyes at that um i'm okay if you even do um because three years from now you'll be wrong but i think what people aren't recognizing is there's no play for you know, these small niche players in a market where it takes scale and size to go dominate. And why not? Um, when you look at a dealer, you know, are you talking about specifically sales? Sure. Because there's a lot of dealers, enabling companies. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you look at a dealer, they don't have all of the infrastructure set up to grow. And so as the market consolidates from a finance perspective, where are we going to put our resources? It's going to be in the teams that are loyal to Vivint Solar. 
And so these companies that are selling something to one company and selling something to another company, those resources are going to consolidate. And if you're a bank trying to decide where to put money. your money, that's right. You're looking at your. That's exactly right. right. And and when you when you look at it with banks and raising money, it's all about risk. And it's the same thing for people. If if someone says, "Here's an investment," and here's another investment, you're all focused on risk and reward. So you'll take more risk, but you got to get a big payday. And what banks are focused on is low risk and decent return. And when you look at Bivens Solar and what we're able to deliver, there's not even a close second in the marketplace. Why is that retained value that we have? Can you explain just to our, especially our newer reps, yeah. what is retained value? What does it mean? How did we get it? Why is it so valuable? Um, so Vivint Solar today has over $4 billion of locked in cash flow. So today, if Vivint Solar shut down its business, customers for the next 20 years owe us over $4 billion. And these customers are not, I mean, this, these are 700 plus credit score. Yeah, 754, customers. I don't know how you say that, 754 average FICO score. I mean, it's unbelievably right. the safe. Other, the unbelievably safe. The thing I would even add on that is forget about the FICO score. If you look at just homeowners, right? And you're in a bad, you're, you're me and you're burning your house down to keep it warm, right? What bill do you keep paying? Right. Right. People will default on their mortgage for a few months before they stop paying their power bill because you got to have lights. It's one of the last bills you stop paying. And I think as the markets are maturing and start to see the low defaults experienced in solar, you're going to continue to see investments come into solar. That's great. What are what are some of the goals that you have for your life? I, I think those are really big, vivid solar goals. What about you? What do you want to do? Um, this is one of them. So thanks for having me. Loved it. <laughs> Check it Check out. The li- I always say, people. dude, I have the most Trust simple it. bucket list in the world, dude. <laughs> I'm going to have to start dreaming bigger. But yeah, I, if, if you don't post this on your Instagram, I mean, you never post. So I feel like this but has about to be. times where you do consistent posts and then you go Yeah, like, yeah. he'll go like six months and then all of a sudden Paul posts something and, you know, just him riding a bull. Or something, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And the man like, from Snowy River hat. Yeah. Now, what yeah, do you want to exactly. do? Um. So it's interesting for me, a lot of people ask me, you know, what drives you? Who do you compete with? You know, are you a really competitive person? I really, I don't compete with people very often. Um, Chance, I compete with him sometimes. Yeah, it's I was very gonna fun. say. Um, but I'm really competitive with myself. And I kind of have these like quiet goals. And a lot of times I'll set a goal that if I set it out loud, people are like, dude, that's, that's big. That's like kind of a bold goal. And maybe I'm a little bit shy to even like say some of the things that I plan on accomplishing, but deep in like side of me, I'm like, this is, I'm going to go do this. And I know I can do this. Or is it like an ambition to, there are all kinds of different things. I mean, riding a bull, for example, was one of them, but a small example. Hey, be careful, Um, man. They'll step on your ribs. (laughs) They'll get you. I feel like you're being a little reckless. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, a lot of it is like personal, just like active stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I like, like, um, what gets you excited? Cause I, I, I have a theory that, in order to be successful in business long-term, you have to have a life that you're excited about. Mm. It doesn't necessarily have to be an exciting life, but it has yeah. to be something for you. Yeah. Like if, if it's like, hey man, I want to build my own computer. Okay, I don't really get that. Or hey, I want to summit a mountain. Those sparks, especially for salespeople, they have to be That's there. That's what keeps you motivated. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, money and dollar amounts um, are probably at the top of most people's lists until they have a sufficient amount of life experiences. Yeah. And then those things become less and less important. Yeah. And you start realizing that like that experiences and accomplishments 
in a wide range of like life spectrum is more interesting and more valuable. Mm -hmm. And so my kids, for example, are something that's really important to me. Yeah. So going and creating unique and special memories and experiences with my kids is at the top of my list. And and with my wife, going and doing, you know, things with her that um, create memories and our experiences that we can draw upon are at the top of my list. Do you um, racing the Baja? You had Todd on here a couple weeks ago. That's a big one for me. I want to do that hey, too, man. Do we do a way. team? Yeah, I. Oh yeah, you and Ty. That's we've like, been told. Yeah, I think we'd make a good team. That, that's on my list, man. But I have a very simple bucket list, so I think that. But I think those things have to be there, and I think they have to have timelines to them. I told my wife the other day. I just got into Formula One racing. Uh, got into it like watching, or yeah. you're now no. There's 20 now... Formula One drivers in the world, okay, so I'm not one of them. You watch the the Lewis that's what Hamilton got me one. In. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's the, he's my dude. But I want to go. I want to watch the Formula One race in Monaco. I want to do that by the time I'm I feel 40. Like I'm you're 37. mind reading a little bit. So professional race car driver is on my list. Yeah. So we should do that. We should set a goal in front yes. of all these other electric people. I like it. That what in the next five years we'll race Baja. Can we shorten it to three. I'd, I'd like know, I'm to, pretty I'd busy like right now. Do it. I just had a kid. I just had a baby. Like, a just year old, had I mean, like, a baby. Reasonable. Let's go four years. I'll meet you in four the middle. Four years. Four years. Done. You want to okay. do this? No. All right. We'll no, find something. We'll I'm do good. something else. Hey, we'll, we'll do something. Yeah, we can go. Four years. Four years. I've, I've learned that you can hire people to do this. So <clears> to, we can drive it for us? No. Okay. We'll drive, but you hire a whole team. You're 100%. That's what we're doing. Definitely. All right. Yeah. I want to know. So you've done some pretty crazy stuff. Riding a bull is one of them. Yeah. Um, didn't you do like the swing thing in Moab or whatever that was? Yeah, that that was up there for me. So what's, what's been the scare? Like the thing that you had second thoughts maybe right before you did it. It was well, probably side note, that, before that swing. Did you know that the first to do that was Austin Baird, who's our current legal counsel now? Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, he's the one that started that. He's did you know original, that? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, he was the one that did the first the first video with like Devin Supertramp. That's yeah. Austin Baird. That's so cool. So the guy, the, if they're listening, they need a they need a search on YouTube. What Moab swing like, or yeah. uh, Moab like arch swing? Yeah, arch you'll, swing. you'll find it. Yeah, yeah basically you, you climb up. You know, it's like a 20, 30 minute hike, something like that, and you come to this giant arch in Moab. It's like what you know, Southern Utah's Damn, famous. It's yeah, called, isn't it arches. called delicate arch? Yeah. Like, delicate arch. The kind yeah. of thing you don't know if you want to hold your yeah. life on. Yeah. Famous rock formation <laughs> in the world, possibly. Yeah. So we we got a call from a friend who said, hey, I know these guys who are rock climbers that can like set up the rig if you guys want to swing the arch. And I'd seen it on YouTube, and I'm like, that's one of the sweetest like videos I've ever seen. And like, that, yeah, I'm in. So um, we drove all night. We drove down there, and we got there. And we met these guys, and they're like potheads. Like, they were all stoned. <laughs> And I'm like, these are the guys that are tying the knots that are determining, like, if I live or die. And These are the guys packing my parachute? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I was just thinking of Point Break. Like, yeah. who packed my chute? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, I got, I, that's when I got nervous. And I'm like, oh, these aren't, like, I don't know why I would have thought, like, if they were in, like, suits or something, I would have felt more comfortable. Yeah, but no, that's the guy you want. That's who you want. Yeah, that's yeah. who you want. Um, but just a, a little bit earlier, someone had gone and swung it and measured um, their rope. So basically what it is, it's this huge arch. And you climb up on the side of the arch. You have a rope hooked to the center of the arch. You run out on the side of it and jump and swing with a rope hang, you know, around how, your waist. How, tall, how, how long is the rope? I mean, this swing is like, like... hundreds of feet. Yeah. Yeah. And you're over a canyon that's... I mean, really tall. Certain depth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not your neighborhood swing. It's giant. <laughs> and um, 
this guy measured it, put his rope on there, swung it with like a water bottle and didn't realize that the weight of a person is different than a water bottle and rope stretch. No. Jump died. Really? So, yeah. So, he was cutting it close. You know, that it's a le- it's illegal. You're, you can't do it. And um, so I, we had to do it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so jumping the arch, I remember being on top of it, looking over at these guys. You know, none of them were wearing shirts. They're tatted no, no, out. I can't get past this. He swung a Poland Springs water bottle. <laughs> yep. Not thinking. They measure that in ounces, not pounds. Not by the way. thinking that it would be different. Probably with half a drinking. Human, yeah. yeah. It was like a Fiji bottle. Yeah. And you who know? wants to cut it that close? Yeah. He's, right. he's, he's buzzing like, the tower. He's like, I mean, it's like a, you know, it skimmed just, it. We had like, just yeah. barely clipping. He's like, perfect. This is going right. <laughs> to scare. Height. This will scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> right. He didn't understand the rope was going to stretch another exactly. three feet with yeah. him in it. Wow. He didn't. He really wouldn't. All right. Sorry. Continue. So anyway, so that I remember being at the top of it. The wind's blowing. These guys are, you know, no one has a shirt on. They're tatted out. And I'm like, there's like a 50 50 chance these guys like didn't hook the rope up correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember like running and they're like, hey, you want to just like run out towards that, you know, rock and then just jump as hard as you can. Because if you don't jump far enough, you're going to slam into the side of the arch. I'm like, all right, let's go. (laughs) So that, that one was hot. That, was, what, that uh, was a hot one. Maybe final question for us. We've had you on for a while. What, what do you hope for those that we lead? The people that come into the business now, what do you hope for them? It's hard because there's so many things and thoughts and you know, you know, those types of questions. I want our people to develop and become something. I want them to be happy. I want them to find like excitement in this company. I want them to find fulfillment. But I want them to develop and become something. And that... You know, in my career, I would say I would attribute a lot of my success to just having an accelerated learning experience or an accelerated development, you know, cycles. And so I would hope that the people that work for us learn a lot. They develop. They become amazing people. And that's what is unique about Vivint Solar. Look, you're in a crazy industry and you're in this perfectly positioned spot to make a ton of money. Awesome. More than that, even, is you're around some of the most impressive people I've ever met in my life. And mind you, my early career was raising that money on Wall Street with guys that manage billions of dollars. When I go to the field, the talent, the skill, the thoughtfulness of our leaders is on par or far superior to anything I've seen anywhere. And so to anybody on the podcast that works for Vivint Solar, that would be my message. Recognize the opportunity for what it is. Don't get caught up in the day-to-day like grind of things Take a step back and realize you're one of the early people. We're doing something special here. We're going to be the largest provider of power in the country, and we are absolutely going to dominate. So don't let this opportunity pass you by. I think that's perfect advice. I think that's perfect perspective. So, so thank you for being on. I, I really admire your, your ability to see from different angles and to speak to different groups. Um, a big fan of your career, uh, benefited directly from your mentorship. Thank you so much for being on. This has been Electric People. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. The League presents Electric People.